Is there any principles for how to show up for these kids to serve them better? Earn their trust. They came, they're coming from a place where they weren't able to trust the people that they were living with, whether it be their parents or whomever. I had to earn their trust, you know, and they would try me. They would try me to see if when they did things that they shouldn't be doing, if, you would th- if I them. would give up on them, if I would stick with them. Mm-hmm. So I really had to go through some things to prove to them that I'm going to be there with them no matter. I've learned more listening to podcasts than I learned in my two years of college. Right now is a great opportunity to leverage the power of voice. No one's going to be able to offer the world what you can. It took someone else that had a bigger vision than me to be able to show me the way. And so now that we're here, we can show others the way. What if you can do what you love to fight what you hate? Be on air. Powered by Podcast Farm. Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to another episode of Be On Air. I'm your host, Kaylee Marks. And today I have brought on someone that I have never met in person, but I've met her daughter and her daughter is a powerhouse and she's she's going to be joining her as well. Dorcas Porter has just received the Lifetime Achievement Award from the National Youth Advocate Program. She's been a foster parent for for over 40 years. And she has been the foster parent of a month many times, as well as the community outreach specialist at Youth Advocate Services, an agency in Ohio. She's fostered over 500 kids and continues to this day to still provide them love and support and family. And I've brought her on because this is an area that is is greatly lacking in our country, is figuring out how to support our youth who who are not with their family of origin, who are going through tough times. And so my hope is that we uh, engage in a conversation that's going to give us all some food for thought and ideas for how we could support these next generations of kids coming through. Miss Dorcas, it's so great to have you here, also known as Granny and Tibby. We have you. Welcome. It's so great to see you both here. Thank you for having us. It's an honor. Thank you. Yeah, you. So you just went through a, a very big ceremony. You just received the Lifetime Achievement Award, uh, and maybe yes. you could you could tell us a little bit about that. Well, it, it was so exciting. It happened on uh, last Friday, and uh, I was I had the pleasure of being honored uh, for the Lifetime Achievement Award for National Youth Advocate Program. So, what like? I'm curious. I want to dive into that experience more because I saw some videos and and we got to hear uh, some experiences from your children about what it's yes. like to, to be with you. And that's really sweet. But maybe we could start uh, with your childhood and what your childhood was like. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about like where you grew up and what your what your family life was like. Well, I came from a two parent family, a family that was uh, devoted uh, to each other. Uh, I was raised in church. I have two brother, three brothers and one sister. And, uh, all I can say it was, it was wonderful for me growing up, knowing the love and the nurturing that my parents gave to us. Um, you know, I, I wanted to share that 
love, the same love that I receive with others. Mm-hmm. What What would you say are some of the things that your parents or how did your parents behave? Uh, what are some of the like tips we could take away from your experience with them? What did they do right? Well, they certainly, well, they were strict. I mean, <laughs> that that was for sure. You know, we couldn't hang out all night and that kind of thing. You know, we had a lot of rules, you know, that we had to abide by in the home. And we were involved in activities that were supervised uh, from maybe our church or the community that was supervised. We just weren't allowed to do any and everything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And like when you when you were going through maybe some hard time at school or or you know some fight with a friend or just feeling if you if you had some sort of sad feeling or down feeling how how would they be with you with that? Well, I was next to the youngest, so I had an older sister who went along with me to school. And she kind of took care of everything, keeping me straight and keeping others from picking on me. <laughs> She's your keeper. Yes, yes. And and what was what was your relationship like with your parents? Like, what, did you feel like you could talk to them about what you were going through, or or did they feel more? Um... Yes, yes. My parents were very open for listening to us and encouraging us. And to see that we had the best that they could provide for us, uh, we could talk to our parents about anything. Mm. You felt safe to communicate with them and and share with them what you were going through. Yes. That's amazing. Absolutely. What, What were some of your favorite memories from childhood? Well, we had a lot of church involvement. So we were in a lot of activities and plays and um, through our church, church groups, uh, being chosen to represent the young people in church and conventions, you know, uh, that was an honor. You guys were singers. Too. And uh, we sang. We were all singers. We sang in the choir. We sang at everything. So... <laughs> We sang for every occasion, you know, so uh, my mother sang, my father sang, we sang at home, (laughs) we sang, you know, the whole family sang, we sang together. So we did a lot of family activities that were together. So Tibby, you you're a singer as well, and you've you've shared the stage with some greats, including Johnny Cash and, and many more. Uh, was was your mom's singing background as a child partly how you got into singing as well? Well, uh, like my mom said, the next generation of us um, were singers as well, and so because we all grew up in a church and we had a church that was family organized and structured. And so we kind of came up the ranks singing and um, in, in theater because we were in plays. And I ended up, you know, ultimately being a, a playwright. I've written plays for over 40 years. And everything that happens in my life, I can literally um, 
stream it back to my childhood in the church, uh, our involvement. So we were involved on every level of church. And so we were used to kind of being upfront kids. And so I guess that we kind of took a platform early on in life mm-hmm. um, that I guess I kind of took for granted because, you know, we I've always been up front. And so I never really had a fear of that kind of thing because we did it starting from childhood. And so mm-hmm. um, I guess it was something that was just innately in us. And so I come from a family of singers from opera to country and Western. We have a quite a plethora of oh, entertainers yeah. in, in our family. And we have attorneys that's, that um, are lawyers by day and singers by night. <laughs> and so it's just kind of in our family. And my brother was a pastor, the late Dr. Samuel Ayers. He was the pastor of the church. And so we yeah. kind of came up the ranks, kind of just. The church was your home is what I'm hearing. And yeah, you yeah, all, and was. you sang a lot with, with yeah, we family. sang a lot. <laughs> It's beautiful. That's wonderful. Um, yeah, I've had the the privilege of getting to play some music with you, Tibby, and it's it's been fantastic. I love singing, and I think that uh, it 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 literally brings us together, right? When we sing and we harmonize, we we actually come together, and we actually do. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's powerful. Yeah, so, did you know any foster kids when you were growing up, Dorcas? Did you did you like was that a concept that you were aware of? No, I was not aware of it. it was a family that I knew at at church and that stayed with this lady. I didn't understand why I didn't know what fostering was coming up. Uh, and there weren't any kids in my neighborhood that were foster kids. So I really didn't know that much about it. So at what point in your life did you did you come to make the decision? OK, I want to foster I want to foster other other children. Well, there was a friend of mine that was involved with a foster care agency, Youth Advocate Services, and she thought that I would be good, uh, a good foster parent. Uh, Tibby was just leaving to go to college, and I had a empty nest because <laughs> I was divorced, and I thought, well. Maybe that's something that I would try for a while and see how it worked out. I had no idea that it would last 40 years. Uh, that was something I thought that maybe I could help, you know, uh, with with uh, troubled youth. When she explained to me what it was and she told me about foster care and by being able to give back to uh, children, I said, oh, maybe that's a good idea. Let me try. Wow. So that was how I got started. Lady by the name of Georgetta Lake got me started. <clears throat> a lot of people, I, I've heard, I've felt this personally, and, and other people have um, uh, either either intimidated or they have some reservations about the idea of of bringing on a whole new life into their family, one that they didn't create, one that they you know they they come from a troubled background maybe, and they have some concerns. So, what would you say to someone who is considering fostering, but they they do have those you know concerns? Well, to be honest, I have said a lot to a lot of people because I was so excited about what I was doing. Uh, I brought in three neighbors. I brought in family. I included some of my church friends, all to be involved with helping youth. 
Took so a village. It, it wasn't just me. I, mm-hmm. I brought people with me. I was so committed to trying to change lives of the children. I wanted other people to be involved. So mm-hmm. that was what I did. Wow. Yeah, that makes sense. It's a lot. It, that old phrase, it takes a village to raise yes. a child. Yes. <laughs> makes sense. So how many, How many? like, maybe would you be willing to share your first experience with your first foster children? With my first child, I was really nervous. I didn't know what to expect. Um, of course, they tell you about the, their background, but still, I was a little afraid, you know, of what it was going to be like. Uh, when they brought uh, her to me, um, I probably was as scared as she was. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> it's understandable. Yeah. And how did it go? Like, what was that like for you after that, after, you know, the nerves settled? It was uh, a little, you know, at first. And then, you know, we sit down and talk. I had to learn. I had to learn how because I dealt with so many kids with different issues uh, over the years and through the training that the agency provide, the required training for treatment foster parent. I became a treatment foster parent. So there were so many required hours of training. And also, since I work for a foster care agency, you know, I got a lot of training there. Mm-hmm. So that was... Uh, help equip you for... Yeah, that helped equip me, you know, uh, to provide what I needed for my kids. Yeah, so it so sounds I was like... Scared. Yeah, I mean, it's understandable. And it sounds like because they were coming from pretty difficult backgrounds and you were a treatment parent, foster parent, you were able to handle probably more extreme cases of, of abuse and, and just trouble, you know, troubled youth. And, um, and then you got all this training. It's impossible to encapsulate all of that into even an hour interview, but is there anything that, that could, that comes out for you? That's like the, some of the most important principles for how to be with, children who are coming from a difficult situation in that first kind of, you know, whatever month or so of just like integrating with them. Is there any principles for how to show up for these kids to serve them better? Earn their trust. They came, they're coming from a place where they weren't able to trust the people that they were living with, whether it be their parents or whomever. I had to earn their trust. You know, and they would try me. They would try me to see if when they did things um, that they shouldn't be doing, if you would give if up I them. would give up on them, if I would stick with them. Mm-hmm. So I really had to go through some things to uh, prove to them that I'm going to be there with them no matter, no matter what. You know, sometimes, you know, when they were run away and do things that they shouldn't be doing. I go get them. I go get them and I bring them back and I reassure them. I had to prove myself to them that I'm there for you. No matter what, you know, I'm going to stick with you through your ups, through your downs, you know, whatever. I'm there through court, you know, whatever they do through the courts, through school, through everything. I'm there. Mm -hmm. I had to prove myself. 
I think that's what we all want too from from the people that that we love and that love us is we want to know that they'll be there for us and yes. so many of us have these conditional relationships. Right. And it sounds yes. like you gave them that unconditional love. Yes. Not only did I recruit my my neighbors and my family, uh, uh, I included Tibby, my daughter. That's something she said she would never do. I did say that. <laughs> she said she would never do, and she ended up doing it. My niece, my sister, you know, uh, three of my neighbors, three families. I think it was a kind of a contagious thing. Um, after you after you begin to see the change in some of these young people's lives, when you see kids that come in who have such tragedy attached to yeah. them and such trauma attached to them in a manner that it looks like uh, those atrocities can't be uh, removed from their life. And then you actually see change. And I watched those kids come into my mother's home and they mm. were broken vessels, literally yeah. not trusting, uh, stealing and doing things in the house to sabotage themselves which was a setup to see if she would stop loving them, if she would give up mm. on them. And they figured if their own families gave up on them, then certainly this person, this stranger that I'm living right. in the house with would give up on me too. But they saw that she didn't. And once they came to grips that she wasn't going to throw them away, you, you begin to see the process of change occur because right. they trust. They're able to confide. They're able to talk to you. And, and when that trust relationship began to develop, I think that things turned around. And when we saw changing kids who came in the door, mm -hmm. kicking and screaming, stealing food out of the house, breaking in, stealing jewelry, different things. And you see those kids transform and they end up graduating from school. And these first kids, in their families. First in their families mm -hmm. to graduate. And you see behaviors turn around. And you see us doing grants so they can go to college and those different kinds of things. Then we knew the thing that she was doing, we saw that it worked. And so, yes, I did become a fast foster parent. My aunt as well, my cousin as well. They just kind of jumped on the bandwagon. And before we knew it, we had a support system for her yeah. because I, my household, my aunt's household, my cousin. And so we began a network of supporting each other. Wow. And at one point in time, we had like almost 20 kids in our in between those four households that we networked and supported together as a unit. And we all took teenagers, the ones that nobody else wanted. We took those teenagers. People like to take the little, the young kids, you know, because they're easier to work with. Teenagers are difficult sometimes. And that was what our focus was on, helping those kids that nobody else wanted. So it sounds like you 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 took on some of the more difficult cases, cases that may have made other foster parents like not not feel certain about how that was going to go. And I'm wondering for you, Tibby, especially, I know that some parents who already have a biological kid, they're concerned if they bring a foster kid in that that could uh, make the dynamic extra hard. So maybe would you feel comfortable sharing a little bit about what that experience was like for you? And then how did you come to feel inspired by it? I didn't understand the question. Sure, it was for me. He's talking okay. about So with that being said, my mom fostered girls. My aunt fostered girls. My cousin fostered girls. I had boys. And so I had the more difficult boys. Um, mm -hmm. I actually took the boys that, that other foster homes turned down. And so with that being said, I had gangbangers, crips, and bloods in my house at the same time. Wow. Uh, but the but the bottom line, I think, is 
beyond the crip, beyond the blood, beyond the gangster or the criminal type behavior, every child wants to be loved. And mm-hmm. that is truly the bottom line for every mm-hmm. kid walking the planet Earth. They want to be embraced. They want to be nurtured. They even want the structure. And they may show you those things in different ways. Different behaviors may come out while they're demonstrating what they want, because sometimes they don't even understand what they want or what they need. But love is one of those languages that encompasses all colors, Mm -hmm. all nationalities, all origins. When you love a child unconditionally, Mm -hmm. I don't care what part of the earth you come from, they feel it. And so with that being said, they felt the love that we gave them. They had tears. We cried with them. We held them. They had temper tantrums. They broke things. All of those things happened in our houses because at some point you have to get to the root of where their pain is Mm. and they have to trust you to even allow you to get to that place. So with that being said, it's a journey within a journey trying to gravitate around those kids and, and bring about the therapeutic change that they need. Did you, do you feel like it brought you and granny closer together too? Yes, it did. Cause I, you know, it was funny cause I'm the only child. So to watch her deal with all these different behaviors that I didn't have, I was like, wow, she's really good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and it was amazing for me because, you know, each generation you learn to have a little more patience. She had patience with the kids probably in a better man than she had with me coming up because she learned because she learned what it was to listen more. You know, mm-hmm. we practice. I think I did better with my second child than I did my first because I had practice right. with the first. So she was able to learn from each child that came through there and it helped her do better with the next child. They gave more experience mm-hmm. and more knowledge with the next child. Mm-hmm. And 500 kids later, mm-hmm. she had a village of kids right. and, and 500, their kids. 500 kids. I just want, that's like, that's extraordinary. So 40 years of fostering 500 children. Yes. And I've yes. heard that they still come around and, and you still like, they're still your children. They're still in your life. Yes. Yes. They come around as a matter of fact, during COVID, they have been upset because they can't come and see me. Sometimes uh, Tibby let them come around the back and uh, look at me through the, the glass, the patio door, you know, so and just wave and wave and they're okay when they see me. I talk to them on the phone, but they want to see me. Oh, that's so sweet. Maybe could you share what what's like one challenge that you've one huge challenge or or time where you felt maybe like giving up or just like an obstacle that you overcame in this whole journey because i think there's a lot of uh, parents who will go through these moments and it's really helpful to know that you can overcome these so what's one obstacle that you've been able to overcome there were many times i felt like giving up uh there were many challenges uh, because of the kids behaviors and i have said to myself, I think this is it. I'm not doing it anymore. And then something happens. Um, I see success, some kind of success in the child and the child really not wanting to leave, you know, and I just was motivated to keep going, to hang in there, you know, so I just kept going. Kept going. You had that drive to 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 stick with it. And it sounds like 
maybe some of your early childhood time with your parents, there was rules, there was structure. It sounds like you had discipline to. Yes, to and I was able to do that with my foster kids. Uh, the uh, provide them with discipline and structure. It's helpful in raising a child. A child is really helpful. She had a boot camp. <laughs> she literally had a boot camp. A I hear bit. what she's saying. You, it sounds to you it was sweet and fluffy. It was not. She ran a regiment in this place. Yes. Everything was in its place. Her house is immaculate. And if she had two kids or ten, her house stayed immaculate. Every child had a chore. Every child had a duty. They had to be accountable. They were rewarded for their good efforts. Um, and and the thing about it is, she learned to talk to those kids in such a way that even the hardest child that came in the door, they would melt at some point because she spoke with such sweet, kind words. Uh, my role was totally different. I was a battlefield because I had boys, <laughs> roughnecks, but these girls. She had a soft spoken, sweet voice that it melted your heart. And I don't know what she did, but when she hugged and wrapped her arms around those girls, they felt the love. And even the ones that came to supposedly torture her in their foster care, stay, stay at her house. They changed. Mm -hmm. They changed. They were um, transformed by the power of how she loved on them. And she made them feel beautiful. She dressed those girls up who had never been dressed up before. All the mm -hmm. girls that graduated from, she had they had princess proms. She took them and she had their hair done. She had their nails done. She bought them beautiful gowns. She had beautiful parties for them when they graduated. And the kids that, that started out feeling like this, they were made whole because what she brought out of them was beauty. She made them love their selves for the first time. Some of those kids didn't have that kind of love. They didn't have that reservoir to draw from so that they could love themselves. They were in survival mode, being in abused and in neglected environment. And when she brought that into place so they could love themselves, then they learned how to love her. And then the relationship went from here, zoom, way over to there. And so she was affectionately mom, not Miss Dorcas, the foster parent. You'll hear them come in. They say, Aunt Dorcas, so-and-so was it. She got, I said, she can't have that many nieces. Aunt Dorcas is who she is to most of them. These young women are family. They're not kids in foster care. When we rolled out the red carpet, they got treated as family. If mm -hmm. you couldn't buy for one, nobody got new shoes if everybody couldn't get new shoes because we're rolling like a family. When we shop for one, we shop for all. When we rewarded one child, all the kids were part of that. Mm -hmm. We had a big peer group. Right, and we had meetings with each of the household to see who the kid of of the kid month, of the month month was, and we would celebrate that. We kid. would celebrate that kid, and the kid got to choose something special that they wanted or they wanted to do. Speaking of boot camp that she was referring to, that I read <laughs> was like studying your homework, study time. They were angry about that study time. But when they made honor roll for the first time ever, yeah, ever we celebrated, we celebrated, we celebrated and they everything. Were, they were happy. 
you know, when they made the honor roll. So they were happy about the study time that we had. And even the sense of accomplishment that yes. they never thought that they could make before. When they made those accomplishments, it made them easier to strive for another goal. And right. so then there was me on the other side who did, I Activity. did theory. I did um, a kind of a behavioral modification uh, program through dance, through the arts. If you could rap, if you could sing, if you could dance, or you if you couldn't, act, act. if you had two Fred Flintstone club feet, you still danced in my group. You still acted and whatever your gift was, we tried to stir up the gifts. Yeah. If you were a rapper, then we said you have to command the English language. So you have to do better in school. You have to do better in English. Those kind of things to cultivate. A lot of those kids came out with giftings that they never knew they had. And because we did mime, one of, one of, one of my kids... Uh, is an interpreter now. You know, he he went all the way with it. Mm -hmm. I started out just small in mime and dance, but he made a professional career because that little nugget that we dropped into him. A lot of the, her young foster, uh, her young people are have gone into being clinicians and social workers. It's because she planted that seed there. Yeah. Somebody loved on them, and it felt so good. They in turn wanted to do it for another community of kids. Now that they're grown. I mean, it spread like wildfire. Yeah, one of my kids, she used to watch me do makeup all the time. She's a makeup artist. She's a today. makeup artist today. Right. One of them used to, I used to get my nails done all the time. I have one that's a nail technician. So, I mean, they learn. They learn from me. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is that you you help them explore their natural interests and passions and then turn that into something that they could they could win with in life. Yeah. Yes. That's so inspiring. So beautiful. Um, I'm curious too, Tibby, what is it about the arts and movement that is so effective with young people? Wow, you know, that's a, this is a big one because I'm going to tell yes, you something. Um, so I'm celebrating my 22nd year. Of, of dance ministry and and 30 years of the theater uh, because I grew up in, in the environment of theater and, and dance and music. Um, I started researching what the statistics said in terms of kids who have been exposed to the arts. And what it said was clearly that kids who have been exposed to the arts do better academically. So I decided I wanted to put that to the test. So every kid that came into my heart, I kind of tried to find out what their interest is. Of course, all the kids, all the boys want to be a rapper. Okay, if you want to be a rapper, let's take this to the next level. Let's develop your language. Let's build up your vocabulary. You know, I mean, Jay-Z was a college graduate. And so we tried to cultivate the things that were in them. Like mom said, with the girls that were good with hair, they became yeah, hairdressers. Right. Find out what their natural ability and what their gifts is and then push them to 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 flourishing to the point where they feel comfortable in that gift. And we drilled them on every single level of, of educating them. We pushed them educationally, academically. We we tried to, to invite them into a spiritual place so they could find themselves, however that be. We had kids who were Muslim, we had kids, whatever. Whatever that is for you, go with it and mm -hmm. go to the fullest. If you're a janitor, be the best cleaner that you can be. Mm -hmm. And I think that striving for excellence is, is the key to what Granny did to help push those kids to the other side. Strive mm -hmm. for excellence no matter how small, 
how big the task is and you can do it. Right. One of the girls like braiding hair. So I set her up her own little salon spot in the basement and we got clients and she would make money and she saved her money and she was able to go on. She got permission from the agency and they allowed her to go on a trip to Florida and she made her own money with a couple from the church. Then she continued to do that and save money. When she turned 18, she had the money to buy herself a car. It's it's so it's so important to to connect them with the, with these wins and how they can see that those wins compound yeah. and then we yeah. actually can affect change and I think they probably felt so out of control growing up and it it gives them a sense of autonomy and control to know that okay if I put my mind to something I can achieve something greater than I thought was even possible. Mm-hmm. So in you know as we get to the end of the uh, the interview, this has been so inspiring and, and just, it, it gives me a lot of hope for the future. And what would you say to, to parents who are thinking of fostering? Like, what would you like to communicate to them? I would like to tell them that it's going to be difficult, but to have a child or be successful, you really have to hang in there with them through the good, through the bad, through the ugly, you have to hang in there. And they have to know that you're going to be there no matter what. Yeah, the other thing is, it is so very important to provide structure. Oh, yes. I think that one of the main keys yes. that Granny used, when I tell yes. you her house was structured to yes. the T, yes. I mean, all T's were crossed, all I's were dotted. She had chandeliers and 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 crystally things all in her house. And it was rare that anything got broken because the way she ran her house, those young ladies knew that she wanted to keep everything nice, keep everything picked up, keep everything neat and clean. And those ladies end up, when they emancipated, had clean apartments. Mm -hmm. They knew how to do their laundry. They knew how to cook. They knew how to care for their houses because Granny, she had paved the way for them. And they had done a repetition of it so long here. They knew what to do when they got into their own places. So I think that structure is a is a yes, huge it is. component. It is. It is. Yeah, it sounds like the structure affects our mental health, too. To have a clean environment helps us feel happy mm-hmm. and clear and organized. Absolutely. So that makes so much sense. Um, so then... I'm I'm just trying to think here at the end if there's any any fi- is there any questions that I haven't asked you that I should have. Well, I wanted to piggyback on the part for for new pat new, new foster, foster parents, parents yes. or even parents who are having trouble with their own biological children. Um, one of the big keys is, and I'm learning this in training as I'm doing still, is that part where we learn how to listen to what the kids are saying. I know you hear them, but to listen, because when you listen is different from just hearing them. And when you listen, you'll pick up some things. There'll be some red flags or some clues or some little things that will alert you to red flags in that child's life, because something will spill out that's gonna help you get to the core of where their pain is. And just knowing all those kids, the core is usually always trauma. Do you have any tips for how to listen? 
Well, the thing is, I, I think that building a rapport with the child, I know sometimes mom would get kids and as soon as she would get them, I would come to her my, to her house, introduce myself to them, and we're off to McDonald's. We're off to the park. We're off to do something that they like to do so we can put them in a comfort zone because yes. they're nervous. They're in a new environment with people who they don't know, they don't trust, and the other part is they don't even want to be there. Exactly. And so you've got to go in knowing that they don't want any of what you're trying to offer right now. So the only thing you can do is wait for them to get comfortable enough to listen, take them to get ice cream. A lot of these kids haven't had basic things that families right. do, and mm-hmm. they're not used to going to the zoo. They're not used to going to the skating ring. Mm-hmm. Take to and, and involve, they haven't been to the museum. They don't know about art. They don't know about culture. Introduce them to new things, and those will spark conversation because they have questions. Well, what did they do? How does this happen here? Because they haven't been exposed to those kind of things. And then you can generate dialogue. And from dialogue, eventually you get to a point of conversation and trust. Mm-hmm. Mm. That makes so much sense. Well said and great, great tips there. So I am curious, Tibby, how how come you chose, did you choose to work with boys or did it work out that way? Or like what made you decide to, to focus on young men? <laughs> if you want to know the real truth was she had girls jumping out of windows. <laughs> she had girls that were, uh, you know, setting the ceiling on fire. And, and I was like, <clears throat> I think I can handle gangbangers ready. I had a six foot four son. Who you know his his presence was like, don't mess with my mom. And so I took that, and you know he was a tough guy. We was good play, good cop, bad cop, and I was good cop. And and bottom line, the worst kids that came into my house, they just wanted by somebody to love them, hug them. They want somebody. My biggest foster boys who are grown and on their own. When they call me, text me, mom, so and so and so. It's the same mom that I got when they were eleven. It's that same cry, mom. You know, I had one who come to me and he grow, and and he pulled his pants down. Mom, look at this. What is this? And I'm like, you're grown now. What are you do? What's this? A bump right here. And I'm like, is he showing me his private parts? And he's a grown man. He is. He wanted me to tell him what it was. And I would, I, I had to straighten up my face. Well, it looks like maybe a wart. But can you put that back in your pants, please? But. I mean, <laughs> You're still mom. You're just his you're mom. You're still mom. He's 25, but you're still mom. So long as we, you know, I think if everybody, we just kind of try to stay in our lane as mom and granny, and that's what they want. Mm. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. That's and I'm grandma to her kids, too. Mm-hmm. To my boys who are grown. Yeah. They, they, she's granny to them. Yes. And I'm Aunt Cousin Tibby to to all of hers. Yeah. I have their cell phone numbers. They call us. They text us. They show up. We mm. see them at the store. There's Granny! And they make a scene in the store. All of that. And for my brother, who was a social worker, and he worked with uh, youth too, troubled youth, uh, they see him, if they see him now, and some of them he don't even remember, don't Uncle Tim, yeah. Uncle Tim. Mm. <laughs> you know, we were just family. Just family. Family. Just, family, just family. My family was their family. Once a year at holiday, we had so many kids. We rented a facility, a, a facility for everybody to come. And they together. came from different states, all over yeah. the place, and including their families, their biological families were involved. That was another thing we did when it was allowed. We worked with the biological families. Big too. deal, there. That's a big, big deal. Big deal. We worked with them too, trying to get the families. 
Reunited. The kids reunited together. Wow. We work with them too. Wow. So I don't so, want to end on a negative note at all, though I do think that your insight in this area is really valuable. Where where does there need to be improvement in the foster care system? What what are some concrete areas that really need some help and focus? Why are you thinking about that? I think that really and truly the kids are really need somebody that's going to stick with them. Mm-hmm. Knowing that you're going to be there regardless. You know, the behaviors, uh, a lot of them have uh, behaviors in school. And sometimes, you know, the foster parent gets tired. I'm giving up. You know, I'm sick and tired of going to school. I'm sick and tired of going to court. I'm sick and tired of this. But you got to be there. Mm-hmm. You have to be willing to be there for that child no matter what. I think the other thing is, I think as far as the system is concerned, I think that there is more need for the system to understand where the biological families need the work because you do all this work with the kids and we send them back to a sick environment. And so after those kids have been fulfilled and feeling good and they go back home to uh, uh, the same thing that they left without the families getting the help that they need so that they become well, you take kids and put them back into a sick environment. And so then there's a cycle and it's it's repetitive and those kids go back into the system. Now they're extra damaged because they felt better and now they feel worse from, from, from just going from one cycle to another. I really think that there needs to be more involvement with the biological family so that they can see health and wellness so that when those kids come back, they can come back to a safe, loving, nurturing home. One of my kids came back three times. You know, so that's that's a big deal. I think that the home turf needs more help. So when the kids come back, that you have solid unification. Makes so much sense. And they can maintain in their home, in their homes. Yeah. Yeah, that makes total sense. Thank you for that. So the, so this has been very special for me to get to speak with both of you and learn more about this. And at, at the end of all my interviews, I asked some rapid fire uh, fun questions. And so the first question I wanted to ask you, uh, Granny, and also you to be one book that you would like the listeners to read. One book. One book that I would like to listen to. You want them to listen, that you would want them to read. Well, I tell you what, I'm writing one. <laughs> Do you want to write your book? You read your read, book? Yes, read my book. <laughs> What's it okay. called? Yes. She doesn't even have a name for it yet. No, I haven't titled it yet. <laughs> but remember, <laughs> that book is coming. And I'll it's make coming sure to out put this links. year. Okay. Uh, I, I think that a lot of what we did without forcing, um, we come from a biblical background. And with every kind of uh, uh, ethnic group coming into our home, uh, wanting them to have the understanding of salvation in their way, uh, we always did biblical stories with them. And those Mm -hmm. kind of stories always apply. So I will always say that the Bible uh, uh, of your choice is a bestseller because you can't steer wrong. The stories in there are, are heartfelt. The stories are about people doing good, people 
speaking well of people supporting and nurturing. And I think in every culture or every biblical book, the bottom line is you see good in Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. If it's in the Quran or whatever it is, you find the good in that. And so I think that that's, you know, uh, the spiritual peace in every child's life is very important. They need something bigger than them to grab onto because we live in a world of negativity and all they can see in their visible sight is bad things to touch and grab. So that spiritual peace, however you see it, however you can touch it, however you can grasp it, I think that's a very important component. And I think our kids will tell you that. And our kids will tell you they that. They will tell you that. Yes. Lovely, lovely, great recommendations. We'll make sure to follow your your book as it launches, Granny, and I'll make okay. sure that that goes in the show notes and stuff. Um, now, how about one song from from each of you that you really love and enjoy? Are you gonna sing? No, I'm not singing. He no, you, can, you, you sing. can just tell us the title. <laughs> What's your favorite song, Granny? My favorite song. Ooh, I've got so many. Mine is "His Eye Is on the Sparrow." By who? Okay. I can't think of one favorite one right now. You got a whole bunch of favorites? I have a, I have so many. She has so many. It can be any. Just one of them. Anything. One. Just one. Uh, Jesus Loves Me. Jesus Loves Me. By any artist in particular or just as you sing it? Any artist? No. No artist. That song is so old. No. It's, no. it, well, I, well, well, I like Whitney Houston. She likes Whitney Houston's version. version. Yes, I like that. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> Beautiful. So this last part is an opportunity for you to either amplify what, like an idea or something that you love or someone you love. Give them a shout out. This is your time and space to say anything further that you'd like to share. I want to shout out to my daughter, Brianna. Hey, Brianna. She's getting ready to go to law school. And to my son, Trayvon, who's working around the clock. And to all my grandchildren. Hey. I want to shout out and love to not only my grandchildren, but all of the kids that have been through my home. All of them. Mm. I love them. So beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing your time and and uh, stories with us uh, here on Be On Air. I know my audience uh, will enjoy this so much. And uh, thank you for all the all the love that you've given and, and all the amazing humans that you've helped uh, encourage to come out into the world and share their gifts. Thank you for having thank us. You. Thank for you having very us, much. Kaylee. We appreciate yeah, you. Right. See you next time. Take Bye-bye. care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Be On Air. I hope you enjoyed it and are now one step closer to turning on your mic and broadcasting your message to the world. Are you ready to start your own podcast and amplify your brand? Or are you struggling to get your show in front of engaged audiences? I can help you on your broadcasting journey. Get in touch with me and apply for a strategy session if you want to discuss your podcast idea. You can reach me at www.podcast-farm.com. I'm on all the social media. Until next time, my friends, I'm Kaylee Marks. Thanks for tuning in to Be On Air.